Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. If you want to learn more about what good practice is, how to structure it, what to do, just generally anything about practice, and you want to hear from a very knowledgeable person on that subject, then you have come to the right place. We're going to get into that in just a minute, but first, I want to remind you about the Mental Game Assessment. Uh, A lot of you have taken this already, but if you haven't heard me talk about this yet, it's a 15-minute, basically personality quiz, but for your golf mental game. You answer each one of these statements on a scale from one to five, and you will get a personalized handmade report emailed back to you. Um, As of now, I'm the one hand making them, so uh, I'm still working through a backlog. Uh, So it might not be immediate that you get it back, but I I think it's worth the wait. Uh, The link to the mental game assessment will be in the show notes of this episode, or you can go to foundationsmp.com slash assessment. All right, let's get into this episode with guest Paul Mendel to talk about all things practice. Today, I've got an awesome guest. Um, His name is Paul Mendel. We're going to talk about practice. That's going to be our main focus today. Uh, Paul has a lot of awesome thoughts about practice, um, a lot of knowledge on it, and um, I'm excited to get into this because this is going to be very targeted towards this one topic. Um, before we get into that, though, Paul, uh, uh, thank you for joining. Um, I'd love I'd love it if you introduce yourself, just maybe brief one or two minutes, uh, just to catch the listeners up on who you are if they haven't already heard of you. Well, Josh, number one, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. I've been a longtime follower of your show. Uh, the content that you put out is really, really good. Um, I've referred several of my clients to you, so hopefully they uh, continue to follow. So um, just kind of a brief update. Uh, tonight, I'm in Wisconsin. Tonight's temperature is supposed to be minus nine degrees below mm-hmm. zero with a wind chill of about minus 30. So um, there's not a lot of golf going on here, but uh, during the summer, Wisconsin has some really, really great golf courses. So a uh, brief history of me. Uh, when I was about five years old, my father... Uh, bought me a uh, a five iron, a kid's cut down five iron at uh, Johnson's Sporting Goods store just outside of Milwaukee. Uh, my father was an extremely good player. Uh, my brother was a good player. Uh, my brother is a good player. Um, and my mom, she didn't really care for golf, but she tolerated the three of us. So um, that's kind of where my golf started. Um, during college, I sat out of uh, school for one semester and uh, I lived down in Florida, and I was a uh, a bat boy for the Los Angeles Dodgers during their spring training. And they owned uh, two golf courses. And as an employee, I had permission to use those uh, use those facilities. And I was averaging probably three hundred and fifty to four hundred golf balls every day. And uh, when you get a gallery of people that would just kind of come out and watch you practice. That was kind of an ego trip to me. Mm, um, yeah. I took me under his wing. His name was Gene Mosier. He was a ex-tour player. But um, if I had to do it all over again, I would have hit far fewer golf balls and I would have played more golf because when it came to on the driving range, I was really pretty good. But then transferring it to the golf course just never worked as well because that driving range is such a uh, low risk environment. 
Um, but, you know, I, I learned that and there's no looking back. So um, now I watch people practice and I think I can uh, shed some light on how they can do things, um, do things better. So that's yeah. kind of my abbreviated story. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to get into that. I, I can tell. Um, so I want to, I want to get into this cause we got a lot to cover. Um, we're going to go through some practice concepts. Um, and then at the end, we're going to get like, give the listeners some like actual details on practice, some like how you should spend your time, how you should schedule your time, what to do while you're practicing. So to the listeners out there, hang in, um, hang in there to the end. I think the concepts are, I mean, to me and Paul are probably more important to start from a good foundation. But if you're just here looking for practice details, hang in there to the end. Um, we'll definitely get to that. But um, yeah, let's just jump right in, Paul. Um, so just high level, what what would you say like uh, the different facets that um, that someone can can work on can improve? So I know you, I've heard you discuss, or I've heard people discuss three types of things that people can work on. But maybe you, uh, I've heard your concept of maybe there's a fourth. So um, what are those kind of giant topics, giant uh, facets that people can work on? Well, Josh, I think that this is probably one of the most interesting topics because not only do I feel that there's four, I actually believe that now there's a fifth. So in no particular order, um, the things that good golfers, good athletes can work on and at the highest levels, they don't miss a beat. Mm. They cover all of them. So in no particular order, again, we can work on our physical our body, strength, flexibility, range of motion, balance, rest and recovery, diet. Um, you know, you look at today's professional golfer, male, female, you know, they are just tremendous shape. The days mm. of kind of the old, you know, heavyweight guy smoking cigars, you know, that that ship has sailed. Mm. Um, so they can work on their body. Um, they can work on their swing. Now, in performance psychology, the swing typically might be referred to as the craft, but whatever we're doing, you know, the task at hand in golf, we swing a golf club. Um, but typically it's referred to as your craft. Um, we can work on our mental, our emotional and our attitude, which I think is so overlooked by most people. It's just kind of out there, but nobody really pays any attention to it. Um, the fourth that I have added is how we train our practice, mm. because if we have those other three ingredients in place, but we don't know how to practice and our practice is very inefficient, the other three will not, the other three will not make up for lack of good practice. Um, I watch people practice and that'll be the topic of today. Um, I watch people practice and they just, they're, they're clueless on how to mm. practice. They, they waste way too much time. And then the fifth ingredient is, and I think you're seeing this more and more in modern golf, is we can train for speed. Um, you know, today's professional golfers, you, you know, the club speed, the ball speed that they're generating, it, they are doing all kinds of things to train for speed. And, you know, the two systems that are really out there right now, number one is the stack system developed by Dr. Sasha McKenzie. Um, and then super speed. And mm -hmm. I, I tend to kind of drift towards the stack system uh, because of the uh, compatibility with the app. But those five ingredients 
you, you to play your best, you have to be training all five of them, in my opinion. Right. So we've got body, craft, mind, practice, and speed, right? Is that right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you can hit all of those um, across a week of practice or regularly across an entire month, um, you're probably leaving very few stones unturned, right? I, I agree 100%. Yeah. And you know one of the things that I know we will talk about uh today is this concept of stacking. Mm. Uh, stacking versus just, you know, most people that they say, "Well, hey, I'm going to go out and practice." Well, if a person goes out and practices and hits golf balls for an hour and hour and a half and then does not pick up a golf club for another week, mm. um whatever they thought they had during that hour and a half of practice by next week it's gone whereas in stacking what we are doing is taking small doses of practice maybe it's 15 minutes or a half an hour and that stacking kind of accumulates day after day after day and then is so much more valuable for us to learn the skill the craft the swing really important idea sure of course so so yeah, we'll definitely like cover cover those details and I can't wait to like bring that to the listener of like man, how should I schedule my time? Like like I I I have so little time, is it even worth practicing? So we'll get into that for sure. Let's stay high level. We've all heard the phrase like practice makes perfect. Um I I I wonder the validity of that if that's I mean, we've we've heard no 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 that that's not true or yeah that's for sure true if you if you practice hard then you'll perfect the game what are what are your thoughts on practice makes perfect i 100% disagree with that idea um because in the words of some of the most well-known instructors um on the planet practice makes permanent so if you are repeating a behavior over and over and over again you will just get really good at doing it really bad. Mm. Um, so uh, performance psychologists, they they tend to kind of will say, well, really, the practice that you do is not necessarily permanent, but it does ingrain in you. You know, I think that that idea of saying, well, something is permanent is kind of misleading and maybe even a little bit uh, disappointing or frustrating to people. So, yes, we're out there practicing whatever we're doing is going to become ingrained. Um, but we can, we can change um, our, our motor patterns or skills with more effective practice. But again, the idea of just going out and practicing and practicing and practicing with no real rhyme or reason. Yeah. You'll get, you'll get good at whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. but if whatever you're doing is, you know, counterproductive, then let's just pump the brakes or stop that whole idea and have a better way to do it. Yeah. So definitely knowing what you're practicing and how you're practicing and making sure you're practicing the right things is essential. I, um, we, we get the, the notion that if I'm just, if I just throw time at the situation or time at the problem and I just spend more time hitting balls or spend more time putting, I'll get better. And we even think that, uh, something is better than nothing, but sounds like, just doing something might not necessarily be better than doing nothing because if you're doing something bad, 
you're going to get really good at doing something bad and you would be better off not even practicing. Am I correct in saying that? I would agree 100%. And that person who's just out there, you know, just hitting golf balls and hitting golf balls and hitting golf balls, again, if they're doing it wrong, I'd say just go out and play golf. I think you'll learn more playing golf with different shots than just repeating that same behavior over and over and over again, whether it's, you know, a late weight shift or casting from the top and um, go out and play, enjoy the game versus just creating all these bad habits that become really, really hard to break. And that's what keeps me in business, giving golf lessons. But, um, you know, let's find a better way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, if, if golfers had perfect psychology, they wouldn't have to talk to me. If golfers had perfect swings and perfect games and perfect practice patterns, they wouldn't have to talk to you. But we can always grow. We can always improve. And we want to see people improve. That's why we do it. We, you know, we want to like run a business and whatever, but we want to see people improve. So, um, that's why we're bringing this kind of information to people. So a, a huge thing, a huge thing that golfers struggle with is bringing their range game to the course. So they might say something like I hit it so good on the range before before I went to the course, but once I got to the course, I just lost it. I, I had no clue what was going on. Um, it, does that have to do with their practice, or or what do you think is going on there? Well, when people are on a driving range, it is a very low-risk, low-stress environment. Um, I believe that because it's low-risk, low-stress, it's impossible to hit a bad shot on the driving range because there's no consequence. You know, so if I hit a bad shot and I don't like it, well, then I just pull up another one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so taking that from the driving range to the first tee, well, the first tee has consequences. There's trees and there's water and there's sand. There's potential embarrassment in front of your other golfers um, because, you know, all of those things add to stress. And those change everything about the golfer's psychology. And then the psychology drives the actual physical swing. So, you know, I'll use this as an example. Our seventh hole at the club that I belong to, it's a par three, about 167 yards uphill, um, out of bounds left, trees right, over the water. It's a very, very tough hole. Well, you know, our driving range does not replicate that one bit. Our driving range is nice, perfect lie. Um, you know, you can hit the golf ball anywhere on the driving range. So with that being said, you go to that seventh hole and now all of a sudden muscle tension creeps in and everything is going downhill. And then the person says, well, yeah, but I, I hit it really good on the driving range. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm playing poorly on the course. You know what happened? Well, you know, nothing physical happened. You didn't fall down and break your ankle or anything. You you just took your swings in the driving range, low risk, low stress, but now you're playing for score or you're playing for a, you know, a NASA bet or whatever, and uh, everything changes. Mm. I think people need to be aware of that. Yeah. So obviously there's a psychological component that, that comes into there, uh, but is, is there a way to is there a way to simulate pressure in practice? Is there a way to pr- 
practice in such a way that you would be more prepared for that kind of situation? Or is it simply, you got to get in the situation, you got to be on the golf course, there's no real way to simulate pressure or consequence. Uh, What do you think about that? What's your what's your concept on that? Well, I believe that yes, there are ways that when you're at the driving range from a perfect lie that you can simulate the golf course. So typically, what I might tell a person to do is you know, whatever golf course they're most familiar with, when they're in the driving range, just step up, hit a drive. And if you're on the first hole at whatever club, you know approximately where that ball went just by the flight of the ball. You sliced it, you hooked it, you popped it up, whatever. So you might say, well, I hit that drive, you know, 220 yards, but I'm in the right rough. And now I'm in some trees. So now, I have to take out my five iron and hit a punch shot. And so I hit the punch shot 120 yards. And I, now I'm, I do the math and I'm 60 yards in the green. So then hit a pitch shot. And if you hit the pitch shot, well, then just say, well, okay, I'm done with that hole. It took me Mm. three to play that hole. Um, I'm not going to putt. But if you hit that pitch shot poorly and you felt like, hey, it ended up in the bunker, well, then, you know, take your medicine and go over to the bunker at the driving range and hit a bunker shot. Hmm. So you're, I think, as close as possible to playing golf on the driving range. Um, but maybe when you're practicing your short game, which I I strongly, strongly encourage my clients to do is take six or seven golf balls and just stand in the middle of the practice screen and just throw them out randomly wherever they end up. And then go to each of those golf balls and pitch the ball or chip the ball onto the green and then finish it off. Mm. Make the putt. Because so often when you see people working on their short game, they just they chip or they pitch or whatever they do, but then they don't really you know, finish it off and make the putt. So if you, if you do hit a good chip or pitch and it's close to the hole and you one putt, well, it's because you hit a good pitch or chip. It's not because you're the greatest putter in the world. If you're three feet away, you're going to make most of your putts. But if you're hit a poor pitch or chip and you're 40 feet away, well, the probability is for us, the average golfers, we're probably going to three putt. Mm. So, um, you know, if you do that with six or seven golf balls, just begin to count how many shots did it take me to get the ball into the hole. So now we're kind of assigning a metric and saying, well, okay, the first one I pitched on, chipped on, I got it up and down. So that was, it took you two. Next one, poor pitch and three putts. So it took you four. So um, you can begin to track how you're doing under a little bit of a pressure situation rather than just hitting six chip shots from the exact same spot, which uh, I'm not sure that has any value. Um, Clearly, you know, you might be working on technique, but it's not transferring to the golf course. And that's, I think what we should be talking about is how do we help people score better? How do we help people enjoy the game more? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately that's the purpose of practice is to, um, to score better. Some people just enjoy hitting balls on the range, but I think 99% of golfers out there, they want to score better. So practice serves that purpose. And I like the way you talk about, um, 
finishing out after your chip. So you chip it to 10 feet. There's something mental, psychological to, I, I just hit this shot too here. Now there's, there's some baggage to this putt. So when you're on the course and you just have one ball, you have the baggage of what you did from the tee to that point, to that 10-footer. So simulating just a little bit, hitting a chip to 10 feet, you know, okay, I've just got this one try to log an up and down. So that that simulates a little bit of that consequence. And I like I like the way you put it. You, you put a metric on it. So the brain, the brain wants to succeed. The and so if you if you are um, simulating that like success, that up and down success, and you see yourself do it well, you're just preparing just that much better for when you get out on the course and you experience those same consequences. Um, does that does that sound right? I agree 100%. And Josh, if we just took it maybe a little bit further and just took yeah. it exclusively to putting, you know, the the average person, when they go out to the putting green, they take three balls because there's three balls in a sleeve and then I do. they're going to hit. <laughs> and, you know, I think we all have, um, I no longer do Great. because yeah. of talking to smart people like you in the performance psychology world. Um I will only putt with one ball because if you're hitting three putts, the first putt, you gather the knowledge of the break and the speed uphill, downhill. Well, then you hit a second putt. Now you have previous knowledge. Well, at least in the people that I play golf with, they don't give me two putts to make a 10 footer. Um, I guess I need to choose better friends, but (laughs) um, you know, so I would I encourage my students to say, okay, take one ball, and if it's a, a four-footer, make the putt. If it's a, a 30-footer, okay, the probability, you're probably not going to make it, but finish it off. Get it into the hole because depending upon a person's skill set, what I believe good putting is, is three-putt avoidance. If we can avoid three putts, or minimize three putts, we're going to play pretty well. Um, So I really want people to finish off the putt. I know some people might disagree with this, but I'm okay with that. Um, I I do not, if I'm playing golf, I do not give gimmies. I don't Mm -hmm. care if they're a a, a eight inch putt um, because this past summer I played in a tournament and I find it hard to believe. And I, I was fortunate to win the tournament, but um, I missed a nine inch putt and how can you miss a nine inch putt? Because I just, I stepped up with very casual and impossible to miss. And the guys that are playing with looked at me like said, well, what was that? Well, Mm -hmm. you know, so when you're all practicing with three balls, you're gaining all this previous knowledge that will not apply or transfer to the golf course. So um, finish the putt on the green instead of hitting, you know, 10 in a row from the same spot. Yeah. And, and, and the, I think what you do, like you can train yourself to be tougher or you can train yourself to be softer. And I think having three putts each time on the putting green, it it feels like you're training yourself at putting, but you're actually training yourself to be, softer, weaker, I guess, uh, to use maybe a harsh term, but, um, 
when you get out on the golf course, your, your brain is soft. Your, your toughness isn't there because you're used to that backup, that, um, that safety net. So remove that safety net as often as you can, because on the course, there is no safety net, uh, especially if you have no good friends like Paul. Uh, but that's Paul's situation. <laughs> so <laughs> we've talked about, uh, concepts and, and I like, I like that, um, trying to make practice a little higher stress, a little higher risk. Um, but let's, let's shift into some of the details that, that players can do to actually change their, um, their actual structure of their practice. So I think a, a, a great place to start, um, and maybe we've all heard this term, and especially if you hang out on golf Twitter much, um, you've probably heard debates of like, block practice only variable practice random whatever maybe maybe bring some definitions to um block random and any other type of practice uh give us some definitions so that we can kind of talk about it well again as i mentioned when i was living down in florida i was the poster child of block practice and i would hit uh, 57 irons in a row block practice is just Repetition with the same club to the same target over and over and over again, hoping that again, that that would reinforce good habits. So do I feel that there is a value and a use for block practice? I do. As a beginning golfer, you first have to try and just acquire the skills to get the club face square to the ball and hit the ball with some authority so there is value to block practice, but as the skills improve, and for each of us, as the, the skills improving is a different, it's a different level, but variable random practice is, okay, now I'm going to hit my seven iron um, with a slight fade, or I'm going to hit my seven iron to three different targets or I'm going to hit a punch shot with my seven iron. I feel that on the driving range, we need to be curious. We need to be creative and we need to explore things. So um, variable random practices, maybe again, I hit my, my five iron, then I go grab my wedge, then I hit my driver. Um, that's, that's really hard to do. Um, because we all think, well, I, you know, I have to hit a, a, a quantity of golf balls. I, I would much prefer that my, my students hit quality, take quality golf swings mm. that are more resemblance to the golf course. So variable practice at the higher levels is just, it's the way to go. Changing target, changing club, um, changing shot shape, all those kinds of things it's it's mentally way more difficult but much 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 more valuable and again this is with the purpose of transference bringing range game to the course we're trying to not just groove uh the habit of being able to hit a seven iron we're trying to groove the the psychology of being able to change different clubs change different lies if it's possible on the practice area, change different putts, um, go from 
hitting an, the longest club in your bag to maybe the shortest club in your bag with a wedge. Um, those differences, and then also going three, four, five minutes between shots. That's that's something that we just um, we don't address on on the practice area. That is an actual challenge on the course. So, I guess with that, a, a concept similar to that falls under uh, block practice is um, something I've heard you talk about: hit and drag, or rake and hit. So um, maybe. I think this one's going to strike a chord with with some of our listeners. But what do you mean by hit and drag, or or just raking and hitting? So, I really like Josh what you just said about the the idea of having some time in between shots. Typically, in my world, I call I refer to that as spacing. Mm. So we space a couple, you know, whether it's ten seconds or fifteen seconds between shots. But um, hit and drag, or hit and rake, is the person is hitting their, their seven iron, the ball, they've now hit a shot. The ball is still in the air and then they drag up another shot. They, I'm not sure if they learned anything because if you don't follow the shot, at least to where it lands and then maybe rolls out, I I don't, I don't know what the value of that is. Um, And I see it all the time. And I, I tell this story quite a bit to my clients, but at the club that I belong to, we have a really nice little chipping area. Um, last summer, I was on one end of the chipping green, and there was a woman on the other end. And so I don't know why I was watching what she was doing, because she's not the most talented player at the club. But I, it got to a point where she had she was chipping, and she was chipping with two golf balls rolling at the same time. So she'd hit a shot. Exactly. Just rapid fire. And, you know, I I just said to myself, here she is. She's going to hit a lot more golf balls than I am today. But I don't know what she's learning, if she's Mm -hmm. learning anything. Um, Just hit and fire, hit and fire. And that's, that's, again, that's another word for just hit and drag. I'm just pulling Mm -hmm. it up as fast as I can. And I see it every day. Um, the clients who listen to me, and I, I, I think I have a really, really good group of clients, um, the amount of golf balls that they are now hitting during practice has dropped tremendously, but they're spending more time here. So instead of buying a, a jumbo basket of 120 balls, you know, now they might buy 60 balls and really try to work the entirety of their routine. And the routine doesn't just end when you hit the ball. The routine ends with, you know, what happened to the shot? Mm. But this idea of just hit and drag, again, um, I think we were all guilty of it. I know I was, but uh, hopefully as a kind of a lifelong learner, I've realized that that's it, it's it's such a waste of time and time, money, and effort. <laughs> and then Energy. They, they, they leave and I ask, well, did you get any better? And they, they can't answer that question yeah. and go figure. So yeah. um, hit and drag, I think is just, it's what most people do. But when you watch really, really elite players, they space time in between, just like we have to do on the golf course. If, if we hit a drive, well, we're not going to hit another shot for, probably four or five minutes, whether we're walking or we're in a cart. 
And now we're going to go from hitting that, that drive at full speed to a, uh, a, a pitch shot or a chip shot or whatever. Mm. Those are two totally different swings. So this mentality of hit and drag, just again, I, I don't know what value there is to it. Yeah. So then if spacing is the better alternative during that space, because we're practicing, we're not on the golf course where we are just hitting a shot and moving on and trying to hit the ne next one better. Uh, on the range, we're trying to learn uh, during that space and time. What should we be looking for during that space and time to, to learn and improve? Well, Josh, um, the driving range that I'm currently at, um, it's a very, very active, busy range. So maybe on a first time visit with a, a client, I might take them outside, outside of my studio and just just say, um, okay, you're out here. Uh, what's your target? Hmm. And people will say the field. The field is, it's about 265 yards wide. That is not, at least the courses that I play, we don't have any fairways that are 265 wide. So they're just aiming out there just, just randomly. Uh, the studio that I'm in right now, I have a net that's about, uh, 15 feet across. And I might say, well, what's your target? They'll say the net, the net, Well, the, the net, you know, it's 15 feet from where you're standing and it's 15 feet wide. You know, I think one of the things that people should do when they're practicing is pick a target, aim small, miss small. Um, you know, whether that, that target is, you know, two or three feet in front of you, or it's, you know, out there 250 yards and it's a tree or a, 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 a pole or, or something, you know, we have to be on target. Um, you know, our, our good mutual friend, Dr. Raymond Pryor, his philosophy is on time and on target. Mm -hmm. And so getting people to um, focus on a target, I think that that is such an effective way of eating up some of our capacity in our brain to not be thinking about nine different things in our mechanics, our elbow, our hip, our, our weight shift, our, you know, maintain our spine angle. Um, I, I think that that idea of just picking out a target is really, really effective. So I might, when I have students outside, there's a 150 yard marker and I might uh, just ask them, well, what are you aiming at? And they'll say the 150. I'll say, no, well, why don't you aim at the five? So, you know, the, the 150 sign is maybe nine feet wide. And I'll say that each of the numbers is probably three feet. So, um, you know, I see that all of a sudden their focus heightens because now we clearly have something that's defined. Aim small, miss small. Um, you know, that, that line came from a couple different movies. Uh, one, The Patriot, and two, um, American Sniper. Um, you know, we, we don't hit every shot perfect, but if we are aiming at a small target, we miss it by a little bit, it's still probably going to be a pretty good shot on the golf course. Yeah. And, and something, again, we're, we're pushing our, we're training our psychology. We're, we're trying to stretch our comfort zone. So it's really comfortable to aim at a 265 yard wide target or a 15 feet wide. That's really close. That's really comfortable because you're probably not going to miss those. But when you choose that specific target, it's a little more punishing. It's a little more 
uncomfortable because you're probably going to miss that target almost, you know, 90% of the time. If it's three feet wide at 150 yards, you're probably going to miss that. But that discomfort, that stretching of your comfort zone trains you to be able to handle the golf course where targets are small consequences are on every shot. So if you're, if you're constantly making yourself comfortable, you're training yourself to be soft and comfortable and the golf course is designed to make you uncomfortable. So you have to train yourself to be uncomfortable. And I think that's, that's the, the role of a golf course architect is to put us under stress. Mm. And um, so what I did a couple of years ago in my studio, I just went out and I bought some yellow rope and I hang it from the ceiling in my studio. And so now when a person says, hey, my target is the, the net, I just say, no, your target is the yellow string. And again, that string, it's three quarters of an inch wide. Um, and then a couple, maybe a couple months after that, I attach some black tape to it. So now it's not only just aim at the yellow string. Now it's aim at the black tape that's right. four inches long. Mm-hmm. And Josh, I will tell you this. You could have told me how many times people would hit that string and I would not have believed it. But on a given day where I'm doing a lot of teaching, and let's just say there's a number of good players that are coming in, the number of times that that string gets hit is mind boggling to me. It's just incredible. Um, But I think if we do kind of a deep dive into, you know, the subconscious part of the brain knowing, Hey, this is my task. Mm. Um, Clearly golf is a target sport and and in a target sport, you know, uh, the flag or the pin or the fairway is King. But if we don't know what our target is, our brain is just operating in this, well, I, you know, whatever, I don't know what I'm trying to do, but brain saying doesn't know what to do. So, um, you know, a lot of people, at least, at least in Wisconsin, we have indoor simulators in our garage, um, just hang a string or something. So you can really force yourself to say, my target is, mm. and the better we do that during our practice, I think the more it's going to transfer to the golf course. And again, lower scores, more fun. That's right. Okay. So we've, we've defined block and variable or random practice, but within that there's, you know, uh, long game, uh, irons, short game, putting wedges, all of these things. How can people break up the percentage of time across the different parts of their game? So let's say they have, 10 hours of practice or uh, five hours of practice for the week or one hour of practice, how can they break up that time into the proper percentages? Well, I think Josh, I'm going to just take a little bit of a step back on that sure. and to say that for the, the most recent numbers that I have seen for the average male golfer from 100 yards and in into the hole that is 53% of their score. So go out and shoot 100, and 53% of your shots are from 100 yards and in. Mm. For women, just because of the, the lack of distance, um, that number for women is 75, uh, 75 yards and in, 53% of their scores. So if 
that then I give you the other what I think is a really really telling and interesting metric is the average golfer spends 90% of their practice time working on their full swing. They spend 8% working on short game, 2% on putting. Well, wow. we're talking about 10% of their practice time spent equals 53% of their score. They, they, they don't make sense together. You, I don't care how good your full swing is, your long game is, we are going to miss greens. Tour players, I, I think right now they're hitting about 13 greens in regulation. Um, so the average golfer is not hitting 13 greens in regulation. If they're hitting eight or nine, maybe 10, they're having a really good day. So if we want to, again, lower our score, I think we should be spending a lot more time being creative, working with sand, chips, pitches, putting. Um, for my elite juniors who listen to what I say, and young people don't always listen, but we keep trying, um, I want them doing one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third of their total practice time is full swing. One-third is short game. One-third is putting. And um, I think that that's a real, real lofty goal. But you know, the other advantage to that is if a person's out there just whacking full swings, they get fatigued. And then they don't even realize that their muscles are now fatigued and now their swing's changing. Mm. And now they're not understanding why, geez, now I'm coming over the top or my weight shift is late or whatever it is. But by bringing in the short game, you're not going to fatigue yourself as much. Um, a couple of my friends, they say, hey, you know, Paul, you're always down the driving range working your short game. Well, um, not always, but I do spend a lot of time working on my short game, but I also spend a lot of time working on my full swing and my putting as well. So if you can get someone to buy into one third, one third, one third, they're going to be much better. Um, you know, the the well-known golf instructor, Cameron McCormick, he describes short game, you know, the good people with a good short game is they have a Swiss army knife. And with that Swiss army knife, they're magicians around the green. You know, they get the ball up and down the majority of the time. Whereas, you know, us as average golfers, we hit the ball short of the green and we're in the rough. And now we're trying to pull off some specialty lob shot, which we've never practiced. So then you're relying on luck. Mm. Luck, hope, and prayer are not a good strategy. <laughs> uh, they don't work. Yeah. So, um, you know, I really like that image of a short game should be a Swiss army knife and have all kinds of different shots. Um, you know, take out your wedges, hit, hit the, hit to the same target, but hit one high, hit one low, um, hit one with your pitching wedge. Uh, because as the situation, the course changes, whether it's weather or lie or, uh, greens are wet, greens are dry. You have to be able to be creative and curious how to hit those shots when it matters. So um, I think I kind of got long-winded on that, but uh, yeah. uh, one-third, 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 I think is a really good way to go. Yeah, and you're and you're never going to have that Swiss Army knife if 8% of your time is spent on short game. You're, you're, you're only going to have time to develop maybe one club, one trajectory, one 
maybe even just one lie, you know, just fringe shots. You don't have time to explore the vast array of possibilities that you could be um, around the green. And and I love the one third, one third, one third. I think that's I think that's perfect for the for eighty percent of golfers. Something um, to to take it to add a little more detail to it. Me and my mentor, my mentor and I, um, we we worked on um, defining really specific percentages for players, maybe for the the top ten percent or twenty percent of players who really have a lot of time and can and really get their practice time dialed in. Um, anyone that's interested in that, it's um, the, the percentages are uh, really, they, they're really reflected closely by one third, one third, one third, but putting is 37%. Approach is 30%. Short game, 21 driving nine and sand 3%. So basically it's putting is a third approach uh, or approach and driving fall under full swing and those are about a third and then short game and sand are about a third. So it's, it follows right into that. But if you really want to get detailed, he, he did a study across, I don't know, 10,000 rounds of golf or something for his players and found that that's the breakdown, but let's keep it simple. One third, one third, one third, I think is, is perfect. Not 98 and two, right? So uh, I love that. I love that one third, one third, one third. So Let's let's take a right turn, um, and maybe we'll kind of head out in this direction. Swing speed, hitting the ball further—that's the fifth thing that you mentioned that that players, golfers can can work on of the body, mind, craft, practice, and speed. So, speed—we've um, talked about practice, but you can practice um, speed. How would you say to someone who said? I, I got 90 miles per hour. I hit the ball 190. I don't know the how far they would hit it if they had 90 miles an hour. But I want to I want to average 220. I want to increase my swing speed. I need to hit it further. Everyone says if you hit it further, you're going to play better. What would you instruct them to do? Well, I think the first thing that we start with is there's two things that determine how far the ball goes. Clubhead speed and centeredness of contact hitting the ball on the center of the face is really hard. I mean, you know, it's really hard. Yeah. It's small. It's small. You know, when we're trying to hit a golf ball, that's this big on a sweet spot, that's this big, it's just, it's really hard. So if we then think, okay, well, what's the, the other option is we'll increase swing speed, clubhead speed. And knowing that, each mile per hour that you increase your your clubhead speed, you're going to gain about three yards. So if you just think of one mile per hour equals three yards. Well, in my case, um, when I began training f- for speed with the stack system, Dr. Sasha McKenzie, mm. um, I have now since mid-November, I have increased my clubhead speed by 11 miles per hour. Oh my goodness. So that equates like two months, a a little over two months. Yes. Now what ended up happening in just real, real brief, I had a very, very serious knee injury Hmm. on my left knee. So my brain said, Paul, we got to 
we got to slow your swing down so we don't, you know, fall down and dislocate your knee or hyperextend your knee. So my brain put a governor on my body and my orthopedic surgeon, my PT, and even myself, I know my knee is healthy, but, and it can support my swing. But I had to get to the point where I was swinging. I'll just call it swing angry because that took me with the uh, soup or the, uh, the stack system. I've increased by 11 miles per hour. And, you know, that's 25 or 35 yards off the tee, which is two or three clubs coming into the green. So, um, I, I, you know, I guess it sounds like I do a little a commercial for stack, but the stack system is, in my opinion, it is unbelievable. And the number of my clients who have invested in it as well and are using it, um, it is, it's remarkable to me. And the idea in just a couple of sh- few words is swing, stick, fast. Swing, stick, fast. We look at the the most elite players on the planet and the club head speeds that they're generating. I mean, it's remarkable. And even at even on the champions tour, you know, those guys are they're not losing distance. If anything, their distance is increasing. And some people might say, well, it's because of equipment. The equipment out there is so good that you know, if, if it was strictly equipment, we'd all be hitting the ball 400 yards, but these guys are working on their body. Um, they're working on their speed mm. because we need to create, we need to increase that speed. And I, I, I proudly say to my clients, I am going to, for the rest of my life, I am just going to continue to gain speed. I'm not content with where I am. And, um, I would look forward to getting out to play, you know, this spring um, and seeing how much further it's going. But I can already tell you, um, even if you see behind me, there's all kinds of snow on the ground. But um, I when I am hitting balls outside, um, I know I'm hitting it harder. And I think the benefit to that, too, is when you're working on increasing swing speed, at least in my case, my mind kind of goes brain dead. And then I forget about, uh, oh, I got to do this to my elbow. I got to do this to my wrist. I got to release my hands. So I think it's it's really beneficial from that standpoint of just saying, yes, I'm working on speed, which is, again, the low-hanging fruit. Hitting the ball in the center is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can increase the speed, that speed is going to be with me for the rest of my golf life. Mm. I, I want to keep hitting it further because it's such a huge advantage. So um, I think the stack is great. Wow. Okay. I've, um, I've definitely seen a lot about stack system. Um, I know, uh, fit for golf on Twitter, just joined partnership with them. Um, and he's awesome. He, if you want to learn how to, um, work on your body, the, the physical part of, of the five different categories of how to improve your game, go to him. And if he's, if he's partnering with stack system and now, I mean, 11 miles per hour in uh, two and a half months. That's insane. Um, sounds, uh, this is not an ad, uh, we promise, but it, that's just awesome. Um, okay. So 
do that, everyone, because uh, that sounds like it works. Um, okay, so thank you so much for joining. If if you could leave the listeners with maybe one high level concept or one or one thing that you could tell everybody that that might be able to cast the wide enough net to apply to everyone, what would you say if you could just sit down in front of however many listeners are listening to this and say this? Um, this is the advice that I would give to you, the simplest, most applicable advice. What would you say? Putting you on the spot a little bit. Just a little bit, but let's see what <laughs> I can do. Um, Josh, one of the things that I I preach to my clients, particularly my young clients, is the abbreviation of AFF, always fun first. Hmm. I think people, they, they might be successful at their job, whatever they do, they're an accountant or they're an engineer or they're a doctor or whatever. And then they say, well, okay, Hey, I'm going to go now go play golf. Well, golf is recreation for most of us. We're not living and dying by, did I make a check on the weekend? Um, we can still put food on our table. So let's if we can keep it fun, I think that's really important. But I think we have to also be realistic with our expectations. Um, you know, if you're playing once a week and maybe you're doing some some practicing at a driving range twice a week, you know, progress is going to come slowly. So I, I think as I was trying to kind of listen to your question. I would, my final thought on, on practice would be people, we can do some practicing at home. You can putt on your carpet at home. You can hit chip shots in your backyard um, because then you are putting a club in your hand. You're intentional. You're focused on what you're trying to do. Um, so rather than saying, well, Hey, I got to go out into the driving range to do my practice. No, you can do it at home, but um so I guess there's a couple parts to that question, you know, always fun first, um, believe in yourself. Um, golf is hard. You, you need to be willing to address all of those ingredients and, uh, you know, do some, put in some effort at home away from the driving range. And I have a lot of my clients just say, Hey, why don't you just hit tennis balls in your backyard? Tennis balls. Mm -hmm. It's I'd rather that they not go out to the golf course and hit tennis balls, but um, you know, it's a bigger ball. It's much lower stress. You can work on your form, your technique. Um, and I, I think that'll carry through to the driving range and then to the golf course. Yeah. So AFF always fun first and maybe no excuses, right? So find a way to enjoy it because it's recreation at the end of the day for 98% of us, it's recreation. And then uh, you could be up to your knees in snow and still find ways to practice. There's always, almost always ways to practice. Um, and yeah, a tennis ball is less likely to break a window. So maybe right. that's uh, important to do. Okay. So we've talked about some different resources like fit for golf or stack system. Do you have any other resources where you, um, might suggest people could learn more about this, maybe podcasts, YouTube videos, books, anything come to mind? Well, Again, Josh, maybe what I'll do is I'll kind of wind down with where we started. The content that, that you put out, um, it's remarkable. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I, not an ad spoke, either. <laughs> when you and I spoke the other day, and I don't remember her name, but one of your podcasts, um, a, a female. Yes, yeah, Sarah Taylor. Yes, just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mentioned his name before, Dr. Raymond Pryor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would consider him kind of a, a little bit of a friend. Um, so, and not to you know conflict with you, but uh, I'm sure some of your listeners have listened to uh, Hal Sutton, Be the Right Club today. Um, mm-hmm. The content there is fabulous. Um, Dr. Izzy Justice, um, he is just brilliant. It mm-hmm. takes me three or four times to listen to his podcast to understand half of what he's trying to say. But um, considering myself a lifelong learner, I, I, I stick with it and I just keep trying to understand more. So I think there's so much good content out there. Um, there's a great book. Um, it's called um, Game Like Training, Game Like Training by Ian Highfield. Um, and I think the name really tells the story that game-like training is we want our practice to be more like playing golf. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a $20 book. I think you can buy it on Amazon. Um, I've got it sitting about uh, two and a half feet from me. Um, I've had Ian come in or not come in, but did a podcast to some of my clients. Um, I think he's really, really out there doing a, a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know where he's out of, he's originally from England, I think, but, um, I I would highly recommend that as well. So, um, and I, I just think listening to, listening to the best of the best golf instructors, whether it's a McCormick or a Sean Foley, I I really like Sean Foley from a standpoint of he, I think his favorite question is, well, why do we do things the way we do And, And we need to find better ways to do things. If we keep doing things the way we've always done them, then really, I mean, mm-hmm. we need to be better at what we do. And uh, um, that's why I, I think maybe I separate myself from a lot of the comp- my competition that uh, so many instructors, not to throw them under the bus, but you know, they feel that they can build a perfect golf swing that is, in my words, bulletproof, so that when they go out to play golf, nothing's going to phase their phase their game because they've got this bulletproof swing. Well, that is just not the case. If you're mm-hmm. not addressing the mental, the emotional, and the other ingredients, that bulletproof golf swing will not stand up. It might stand up in a very, very casual round of golf, but you know when the when the rubber hits the road, our brain knows that, you know, we're playing for score or you're playing for 10 bucks or whatever it is. Um, I, I just think listening to, you know, so many of these, these golf instructors who have really put in their dues and, uh, are finding better ways to do things. Yeah. Well said, bringing a curiosity to it, like not being stuck in your ways, listening to other people, listening to experts. That's what I try to do on this podcast is bring in, people that aren't me. I, I do my fair share of talking, but I bring in people that are much smarter than me to to expose my listeners to um, people like you, Paul, and and people like Dr. Pryor and and people like Sarah Taylor and and just brilliant people um, that come at it from different walks of life and different perspectives. So um, yeah, in general, bring a curiosity to your game, your improvement, 
the the fun you have. So well said. Um, so that's a that was a nice selfless plug for other people and myself. Thank you. But I'm going to give you a chance to plug yourself. Um, where can people find you? More about you? Uh, go to you uh, when it's warmer. Warmer, maybe. Um, plug yourself. This is your opportunity. Uh, your platform. Well, again, Josh, thank you so much for this invitation. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, so the name of my business is Wisconsin Golf Academy. Um, I'm located just outside of Milwaukee. I have a what I think is a very, very nice studio that's indoors um, and then a driving range that's uh, heated outside that we can just move right outside. Um, my website is wisconsingolfacademy.com. My email is Wisconsin Golf Academy or Paul, excuse me, Paul at Wisconsin Golf Academy.com. And my phone number is uh, area code 414-719-0354. So if anybody wants to uh, fly me down, call to up. Warm, call, fly me down to warm climate, Arizona, <laughs> California, or Florida, I'd love to go. But, uh, nice. you know, my base is here in Wisconsin and uh, that's what I've done my, my entire life since my father bought me that, uh, five iron at the Johnson Sporting Goods. That's awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I hope um, people took some notes on how to practice, what practice is, how to better spend their time, how to make it more intentional. Um, I think this episode is going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much, Paul. My pleasure. Thank you, Josh. Have a great day. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Paul Mendel. He's very straight to the point, isn't he? I, I like him for that. He's uh, He's been a great person that I've met recently, um, actually as a um, mutual friend, connection, colleague, whatever, of Dr. Raymond Pryor. So anyone in that circle uh, I know is going to be smart. Um, so I really, really enjoyed talking with Paul about this. Uh, I know I learned a lot. I hope you did too. Okay, if you enjoyed this episode, maybe send it to someone who doesn't practice very well. Uh, I know we all out there practice perfectly. None of us have any struggles. Uh, we all spread out our time by one-third, one-third, one-third perfectly. No one has any problem. No, that's not true. Send it to someone who you know needs to up their practice game, or maybe they need to get their swing speed up or something like that, or they just you just want to send them an awesome podcast, send them this episode. And if you like The Mental Golf Show, then I would love it if you left a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, you know, five-star reviews only now. If you've got a one-star level uh, complaint, maybe just keep that to yourself. Uh, as my parents used to say, if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. Uh, Anyway, I should note these podcasts are mostly just generic advice. If you're a competitive golfer and you want some help with specific personal struggles with your mental game, then we should work together. Send me an email at mentalgolfshow at gmail.com and we can find a time to have an intro call. Okay, thanks as always for being a listener to The Mental Golf Show. It really means a lot that you, uh, that you listen to these episodes. I'm Josh Nichols and we will talk again soon.